Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Good morning, church family. Week three of our Be a Good Human campaign. Uh, Would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Micah 6.8, would you read this with me? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. You may be seated. God, would you be with us as we open your word, as we talk about justice? as we talk about what to do with this in an age of so many social justice movements, but yet injustice all around us, God, show us how to act justly. God, help me to give your word clear this morning and not stick my foot in my mouth too much. Thank you for how you love us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. In week one, we said, goodness is from God. Because God is good. Everything we see from God is good. His gifts are good. Every good and perfect gift is from above, from a father of lights. All the good that we see in creation is from God because God created it and God created it good. Good isn't something that we conjure up. Good isn't something that we create by trying hard. Good is from God. God is good. He's a good, good father. Amen? Justice. There is no justice without truth. That's what we said in week two, because justice hinges on truth. You can redefine terms all you want, but justice needs truth. If there is no truth, there is no justice. And the irony being that a lot of these social justice movements that are happening today refuse to embrace absolute truth. On one hand, we fight for justice. On the other hand, we refrain from embracing the truth. There is no justice if there is no truth. That's what we said in week two. Week three, acting justly. Now, if if we talked about what justice is, justice is nothing unless there is truth. Now we need to talk about what justice does. And I want to preach this sermon on one word. Have you ever heard a sermon on one word? I'd encourage you to come back next week, because next week the entire sermon is literally on one word, so get ready for it. I'm excited about it. Um, But I want to talk about this word right here, act. What does it mean to act justly? And we've talked about this on on Sundays when we we dig into content, uh, through the week when you dig into content with your group, in your daily devotional time, when you dig into content, content and truth is worth nothing unless it's applied. That's what we talked about this past week. What is wisdom? Wisdom is truth applied. If, if we talk about justice, we understand what justice is, but we don't do anything about it, well, then what's the point? Let's just get to the sandwiches now, right? But we need to act justly. And here's the rub. Um, the light clicked on for me as we were talking about this. Steve and I were talking about this in uh, the office there. And Steve has come up with a lot of this content. Thank you, Steve, big time. Uh, But as we were talking about week three, the light bulb clicked for me. And I want to tell you why. 
Um, Subconsciously, I tend to view justice as reactionary rather than taking action. I tend to view justice as a response to injustice. And maybe you too, when when you think about justice, you think about um, today's justice system and who it's for and terms like serving justice and fighting for justice and social justice and bringing people to justice, it's very reactionary. It's like we wait for an injustice and then we counteract the injustice with justice and that is justice. So where does justice originate? Well, well, in that idea, we need an injustice so that we can serve justice. Do you see what I'm saying? And subconsciously, that's what I've thought. Let me give you three issues with that view. Three issues. First of all, if you're looking for an injustice to confront with justice, and your form of justice is just a reaction to injustice, then the first question I see is, where do I even start? Where do you even begin? You look around at our world today, do I start with the school system? Do I start with the economy? Do I start with the government? Do I start with healthcare? Where do I start with all of my perceived injustices in society? Because injustice is everywhere. It's in the church. Where do you even begin? What do you start with? Um, a couple weeks back, uh, we've got some family whose ATV was stolen. And out of the barn, they also took some lawn care equipment that was worth some money as well. The next night, they returned and stole the van out of the driveway. And they pulled all the seats out of the van and threw them in the ditch. And then the police found the van, and now the van is being processed, forensics, trying to find evidence to catch the criminals who stole all this stuff. And we would say, amen, find those criminals, serve justice, write the ticket, throw them in prison, put them in front of the judge, prosecute, sentence. That's justice. It's very reactionary, isn't it? Because we start with the injustice, and we respond with justice. And there are so many injustices like that that happen all over our world. Where do we even start? You catch those criminals, there's however many more doing however many more things. Where do you even start if injustice is the beginning? Um, In our first house in New Brunswick, there was a two-car garage with a flat roof with one jack post in the middle on the gravel supporting all the snow load. So against all of my deep-seated beliefs and values as a man, I tore down the garage at the first home that we ever owned in the first few weeks that we owned it for insurance purposes. But in the midst of tearing down the garage, we found a four-by-eight sheet of plywood. On the front was painted in big letters, due to the NB power crisis, we are not going to be turning on Christmas lights this year. There's an injustice to confront, right? There are so many injustices that we can find to serve justice against. Where do you even start? That's the first issue I have. Where do you even start? Secondly, Thaddeus Williams in his book, Confronting Injustice with the Truth, Without Compromising the Truth, that Steve talked about last week and held up, uh, he calls the modern social justice scapegoating. Scapegoating. This, This is an Old Testament idea. You put your sins on the goat, you send it out. But it tends to be just a big blame game, right? 
When we chase down one singular injustice in an effort to solve all the problems, if, if we could just stop them from teaching our children this in the school system, then that would fix it. Or maybe like this, if we could just stop the amount of tax on fuel prices or the fact that a pound of bacon is now $9 and it's really only 375 grams, it's not even a pound of bacon, then that would fix the issue. Does anybody actually notice that? Bacon's expensive, man. If we could just end the leftist or the rightist political bent, then that would cure our country. No, it wouldn't. It sure wouldn't. We are overlooking all the injustice in our own lives and we're passing the blame and the pain and the suffering on some other group. But that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says the injustice starts in our heart. We're overlooking what's going on in here and we're saying it's their fault. Uh, James 4.11, let me talk about this scapegoating idea. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. How true that is. There is only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Are we, are we doers of the law? Or are we placing ourselves above the law and saying, that group, they, they really need, if they would just follow the law, then that would, and we're overlooking ourselves. So that's the second issue I see. The third issue is this whole idea of commission and omission, this biblical concept. Let's talk about this. Do you ever think, I'm not the criminal here. I didn't murder. You know, I, I didn't really cheat anything major. I didn't really steal anything major. I certainly didn't steal some family's van and throw all the seats in the dish. That wasn't me, so therefore I'm acting justly by not acting unjustly. I'm not contributing to the problem, so therefore I'm part of the solution. I'm not necessarily being unjust, so therefore I am in turn being just. Do you ever think that way? Um, are we acting justly by not acting unjustly. It's like when someone says, your kids are so good. Parents, you ever have that? And it's like, me, me either, not too often. But when it, when it has happened, it's like, really? Are, are they being good just because they're sitting quietly? Does, does that mean that they're being good? Or does that mean that they're just not being bad? Does, does not being bad mean the same thing as being good? They're not doing anything. They're certainly not helping with the dishes or cleaning the house. They're just sitting there. <laughs> Is good, good behavior, does, if you're not doing bad, does that mean you are in turn, in fact, doing good just by not doing bad? I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking this thing. Maybe I'm not. But look at James 4.17. Here's the answer. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You see, sin are, isn't just the things that we do, the sins that we commit against who God is and what he's written in his word. Sins are also the things that we know to do right and fail to do. It's like the quote Steve gave, I think it was from C.S. Lewis, on the first week, there is always a right thing. Even if we don't know what the right thing is, there is always a right thing. 
We often focus on sins that are committed, but what about the sins that are omitted? Uh, instead of all of this, instead of this approach, starting with injustice and then confronting it with justice, like some sort of vengeance or vigilante, like a Batman, instead, what if we actually pursued justice rather than simply reacting to injustice? What if we were more active about it rather than passive? What would that look like? I want to just give you a phrase from the Bible from a familiar story, Genesis chapter 4, if you want to turn there. In Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve have their first son and they name him Cain. Cain sounds like the Hebrew word for acquire, to get. And Eve says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Just think about that first childbirth. I mean, the start of Genesis, there's so many firsts. This is the first childbirth ever. Do you think Eve was like, yeah, I know God said it would be painful in childbearing because of sin, because of the choice that we made. Is this really what he meant? Is this how it happens? Like, Adam, are you sure we're doing this right? Can you imagine? The first childbirth, they have Cain. Then they have a second son, Abel. Abel keeps the sheep. Cain keeps the garden. Then it says, in the process of time, Cain and Abel bring an offering to God. Abel's offering was the first and the best, the fattest, the healthiest from his flock. Cain's offering was just some of the harvest. Doesn't say anything special about it. Now, why did they bring a sacrifice? Well, because God sacrificed the animal to clothe Adam and Eve before he sent them out of the garden. Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelion, the first mention of the gospel, he says, from the seed of the woman will come one who bruises the snake's head. All of these are references to Jesus. They are following God's example and they are bringing sacrifice. It says that Abel's sacrifice is recognized by God. Cain's sacrifice is not. And Cain is mad. Look at chapter 4 and verse 6 of Genesis. Here's the conversation that ensues between God and Cain. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God says to Cain, Get over it. Learn from your mistake. Think logically. Why was your brother accepted and not you? Maybe you can learn from that. But instead, Cain is so wrapped up in his emotions, his anger. God says, don't give in to the emotion of anger. Having anger is not necessarily wrong, but acting it out, letting it rule over you, that's where it becomes wrong. So God says, don't do what you want to do. Don't follow your feelings because justice isn't based in feelings. It's based in fact. God wants what's best for us. Sin does not. Genesis 4 and verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. What do you think he said? Come on out here to the field, Abel. I want to show you something. When they were out in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. We've heard this story. We know this story. Genesis chapter 4. Cain gave in to his anger. He followed how he felt. Murder murdered his brother. Goodness does not come from within. Justice is not based on feeling. If you always follow your heart, if you always act out what you feel, here's an example of where it leads you. Humanity is inherently sinful. It took one generation for murder to enter into the story, right? The first brother killed the second brother, and you thought your kids misbehaved. This is, this is natural. This is sin, nature, natural. And then look, verse 9. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? 
like he didn't know. And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? I want to hang out on this phrase here. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Where is Abel, your brother? Doesn't that sound like God's conversation with Adam and Eve after they ate the forbidden fruit and they went and hid themselves and God comes in the cool of the day to walk in the garden with humanity that he created for community with him and they're hiding. And he says, Adam, Eve, where are you? Like God doesn't know. And then this conversation comes up. Well, we hid ourselves because we thought, you know, you'd be angry. Well, you, you ate of the fruit. And then the blame and the snubbing responsibility ensues. And Adam's like, well, you remember the wife, the woman that you gave me, God, she told me to eat the fruit. And then the woman says, well, it's not my fault. The snake told me to do it. And God shows up to Cain and says, where's your brother Abel? I don't know. Is it my, am I supposed to be watching my brother like he watched his sheep? Am I my brother's, am I responsible for him and what he does and what he chooses to do with his life? How, do I have any bearing on that? Do I have any due offered to my brother? Am I responsible for any of his actions? Am I my brother's keeper? He snubs responsibility. Now, I really want to dig into this concept of being your brother's keeper because I think this is what acting justly is all about. You know what God did next? He marks Cain. And I don't know if it's the same mark as the 144,000 in the book of Revelation, but he marks Cain so that whoever saw the mark wouldn't take vengeance or justice on Cain for the murder of Abel. We're going to talk more about that merciful action of God next week when we talk about mercy. God puts this mark so that nobody's going to touch Cain. So, does acting justly, does pursuing justice mean that God punishes Cain? Which he did. Cain goes to the land of Nod, which means wandering, basically for the rest of his life. Does justice mean that God should have shown up before Cain did this sinful, vile act and educate Cain or counsel Cain or warn Cain about what following his feelings might end up looking like? Because Cain's never seen any of this before. This is all new to him. We're only in Genesis chapter 4. Well, God did that. Does justice mean that somebody pursues Cain and murders him because he murdered his brother? Is that the type of vengeance, justice, is that what justice should look like? I think it's all wrapped up in what it means to be your brother's keeper concept. Let's, let's get a definition for justice. And here's the most simple definition that we can find. Giving someone their due. Justice is just giving someone their due. Giving what's owed them. Well, what do we owe other people? Do we owe other people anything? Do, do we have a due to do for other people. Think about God placing that mark on Cain. Nobody's going to try and kill him because he's got the mark of God. He's got the image of God. And we have a mark of God as well. As humanity, God made us in his image. Each of us are image bearers of the divine. We have inherent worth and dignity and identity because God the creator created us in his image for a relationship with him. So every human being on the planet has human rights because God created them in his image. So everybody is owed something. Everybody is due something. Everybody has rights and identity and immeasurable inherent worth because God designed them in his image. Each one of us carries the image of the divine. 
We have more worth than animals, than plants. God created us in his image with a spirit able to relate to him. Think about this. Your coworker, your neighbor, that person, your teacher, buddy who cut you off on the highway the other day, each of them carry inherent worth because God the creator created them in his image. They are sons, they are daughters of the king because God created them. If William and Kate's son, Prince George, came over to your house to play with your kids after school, you got Prince George running around in the backyard, you're going to serve your best snacks. You're going to keep your eye on that little kid. You are going to have him ready and clean for when his parents come back to pick him up. Because he's the great-grandson of the queen. How much more should we treat every other human being on the face of the planet because they are a child of the creator God and they bear his image? Each one has a quality of the the divine. We're all created in God's image. Here's something to think about. When we lump people into groups, that's called tribalism, we're fighting a group who support a certain cause, we're overlooking the fact that we are called to love our neighbors as divine image bearers. When you say it's the school system's fault, it's the government's fault, it's the corporate bigwig's fault, whatever group you're attributing today's pain to, each individual in that group bears the image of the creator. When you talk about or you post about the idiots in our healthcare system, you need to remember that those people are individuals created in the image of God who live in our communities who buy groceries at our grocery stores, whose kids are in the same class with your kids. These are people who sit in churches in our area. These are real people carrying the identity, the image of the divine. They bear God's image. Cain felt no responsibility to his brother, and he said sarcastically, I don't know, am I responsible for him? Does acting justly mean we're responsible for other people? Does acting justly mean that it's our responsibility to give people their due? What do we owe other people? Let me tell you another story. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. This is a familiar story. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, which is how a lot of these conversations started, saying, teacher, What shall we do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? You see that emphasis on himself right there? Verse 26, he said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now, do you remember, I think it was week three in our Revelation series, I talked about the Shema, the prayer of allegiance that was to be written and placed in the front lid, placed on the hand, so all of our thoughts and actions were, were, alleging, were placing our allegiance with God. This is Deuteronomy chapter six, this is the Shema prayer. But it's got an addition, you see this? 
love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Now, I have to admit something to you. I didn't figure this out. I, I don't know why that's added in there. I really don't know why. I thought some commentators said Jesus is the one who said this, but those letters aren't in red in my Bible. Uh, but then there's, there's an alternate passage where Jesus does say pretty much exactly this. And I want to show it to you. It's in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. This is, is very much the same as the wording in Leviticus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't, isn't that the golden rule? Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said it. This Pharisee, this teacher of the law, he confirms it. And Jesus is saying, you know what? It's, it's not enough to love God, to know God, to worship God, to adore God, if it doesn't actually lead to loving people. Luke 10, 29, back to our story. But this lawyer, desiring to justify himself, because that, that, he kind of shows his true colors right there, right? That's, that's what he cares about, how he looks. He said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Let's see what Jesus has to say about that. Who who do I actually owe something to? Because it can't be everybody. So who are you referring to that I'm supposed to love in the same way that I love God? Um, it's really easy to only care about justice when it comes to receiving our due, isn't it? When it, when it comes to justifying ourselves, isn't it? It's, it's really easy to pursue justice when we're the ones that have had the injustice against us and we want to fight for our rights. We want to justify ourselves. Maybe you fall into a form of justice that is simply justifying your own actions and what you stand for. Who is my neighbor? Who am I responsible to love? Who's in my keeping? To whom do I have to give due? What does justice require me to act for? Who does justice require me to act for? Am I my brother's keeper? And if so, who is my brother? Who's my neighbor? Look at verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So obviously justice is, we need to find these suckers. And we need to get the handcuffs on them. We need to make them apologize. We need to bring them before the judge. We need to prosecute them. We need to try them. We need to sentence them. We need to find these evil, unjust robbers. Just think if you saw this, this news headline today. Roby Street, Truro. There was a man walking and, and a bunch of guys jumped him and they beat him up. They stripped all his clothes off him. He's lying naked in the graveyard next to Roby Street there. They took all of his stuff and they just left him half dead. And it happened in Truro on Roby Street. Well, the police better get on that, shouldn't they? The justice system, they better have no mercy on those guys. What they did was wrong. And justice means we fight this injustice. Maybe we need to get, to get, get an activist group together to fight against robbers, against assault. Maybe we need to unite together to fight this unjust group. But that's all Jesus says. I'd, I'd want to hang out here. I'd want to, I want to find out what happened to these guys. Jesus continues on in the story. 
which I think is interesting. Verse 31. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. By chance. I love how Jesus says, by chance. It's like coincidence. It's like, isn't that funny? I just thought about that. Um, I don't know what I think about that. A priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, and the priests were from the tribe of Levi. These are two similar groups. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. Isn't that crazy? Uh, One of the stories that Steve shared in the devotionals that are coming up this week, but I got to pre-read them because I get to put them on Right Now Media, so I get to see them before you do. But he quotes this article from Florida where a bunch of teenagers videotaped a guy as he drowned. And you can hear them laughing and chuckling in the background. And one one of the kids even says, oh, he's dead. As they're filming it, take place. I don't know, maybe they didn't have a boat. Maybe they didn't have a way to help him. But what would we think of this group who walked by and didn't lend a helping hand? Justice should be served against these guys. We need to start a group against those religious hypocrites who preach God's law and God's justice, but then through the week they don't live it. We need to rally against these guys. We need to confront that injustice and serve justice, right? But Jesus moves on in the story. And you know this story. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. You've heard that story. Last winter we talked at length about the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated each other. The Jews called the Samaritans dogs. And they had this really evil rivalry prank back and forth, defiling the temple, and they just were nasty to each other. The Jews thought the world would be a better place if the Samaritans weren't in it. Thaddeus Williams calls this tribalism. When we overlooked individual divine image bearers, image bearers of the divine nature of God, we just see a group of people. The Jews would have been thinking either of the Samaritans or the Romans, right? Bunch of dogs, bunch of oppressive whatever. And Jesus says, I'm going to challenge this thinking by making the Samaritan the one who actually pursued justice. The last person you would think, the one who was his brother's keeper, the good neighbor, the one who stopped to give the man his due as a human being created in the image of God, the one who acted justly. Then Jesus puts them to the test in verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said. The lawyer says, the one who showed him mercy, which we're going to talk about next week. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Don't just talk about it. Don't just have it 
as like a value. Don't just have it as like a family mantra. Don't put it on a sign and put it on your wall. Don't put it in your Facebook memory, Google Photos blog so it comes up and reminds, oh yeah. No, go and do it. Go and, go and do likewise. Act justly. Keep your brother. Be a good neighbor. Go and do it. Justice requires something of us. It's not just enough to refrain from doing evil. We need to pursue good. It's not just enough not to be involved in the injustice of this world and just sit back, oh, I just stay at home. You know, I don't really put anything on Facebook. I don't, I don't really speak up. I don't really, you know, I'm not part of that. But you're not helping either. How, how is that acting justly? Acting justly. We're going to talk about mercy next week, but modern day society would say, what an injustice. We need to rally against these robbers, this assault, those religious hypocrites, and we need to fight against that injustice. But Jesus points out the one who stood up for the man who couldn't stand for himself. Now I'm stepping out on thin ice here. I hope you know that. And I really don't want to stick my foot in my mouth. And I really don't want to come across like I have this all together. But based on what I'm reading and based on what I'm seeing and the definitions that I'm going to show and what Jesus says right here in this story, I believe we are called to be advocates for people rather than activists against causes. Now, let me just say, not all activists are crazy and evil and causing problems out in the world or whatever. There's some really good ones. And there's a lot of advocacy that happens within activism. But let's give a definition for activist. And this was really hard to come up with because there, there aren't really many clear, concise definitions for what it is to be an activist. But here's what uh, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary had to say. An activist, a person who uses or supports strong actions, such as public protests, in support of or opposition to one side of a controversial issue. Um, some of the other information I found here. Uh, some synonyms to protest, dissent, militant was one of the synonyms. Um, Wikipedia said, demonstrative forms of activism like rallies, street marches, strikes, sit-ins, hunger strikes. The common social change library had to say when talking about change-making activists, they said lobbying, lawsuits, referenda, rallies, candidates, protests, say no to violations of positive, well, widely held values. Nonviolent direct action and attitude, demonstrations, rallies, marches, including civil disobedience. Advocate, Miriam Webster, a person who pleads another's cause. Doesn't that sound like the Good Samaritan right there? Pleads another's cause, not their own, another's cause or who speaks or writes in support of something, not in opposition, in support of something. Um, a lawyer is an advocate when he represents his client in a courtroom. We know that Jesus is our advocate. He represents us before the Father. 
A case manager will advocate for her client by helping them to access services such as food, housing, medical care. Doesn't that sound like the Good Samaritan? What I believe Jesus is saying here in this story is we need to be an advocate for people rather than activists against causes. Activists typically stand against a cause that they disagree in. And I mean, there are some great activists. You can talk about Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King Jr., some incredible activists who've made some very positive changes in society. What I'm saying is, activists typically stand against, advocates stand for. Advocacy can be an aspect of activism, but it's being an advocate that Jesus calls us to. Now, I have to recommend a book, and it's by Jeff Henderson, and it's simply called For, F-O-R. And the big premise of the book is that historically, and even in modern day, churches are so well known for what they stand against. But on the other hand, Churches have not done a great job of letting the community know what we stand for. And we've all seen this. You typically don't have to tell people what you think about their stance if you're against it because they already know. It's written all over your body language, how you live your life, whatever. But people really need to hear what we stand for. What do we stand for as a church? Who do we stand for as a church? As Christians, what do we stand for? Not just what we stand against, what do we stand for? Let's be known for that. Um, he has this quote, which I really like. In a hyper-cynical world that's often known for what it's against, let's be a group of people known for who and for what we're for. What do we stand for? Who do we stand for? Jesus calls us to be a good neighbor, to be an advocate for those who need us, to be a brother's keeper. That's what it means to act justly, to be for people. So let's finish up. I got three verses. Who do we stand for? This is Proverbs 31 and verse 8. Open your mouth for the mute. Speak for those who can't speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. That means people who have no hope, people who are about to die, people who are sick, people who we might say got the short end of the stick in life. Speak up for the destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Stand up for people who can't stand for themselves. Speak for people who can't speak for themselves. Stand up for the people in the margins. It's really easy to speak up for people who we think deserve it, isn't it? Family member, a friend, somebody we admire. But, man, we need to stand up for the rights of the poor and needy because who else is going to? And if the church should be known for anything, we should be known for helping the people who need help, for caring for the people who nobody else has cared for. Because it's really easy to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to give money, I'm not going to buy the food or whatever. They'll, they'll just trade it for, for drugs or for, it's really easy to justify, isn't it? I think those priests that walked around that Jewish man, 
I wonder if they thought, you know what? We're going to do a duty in the temple. If we help this man who's half dead, beaten, and bloody, it'll make ourselves ceremonially unclean. We can't serve in the temple. So we, we would be helping one man when we could be helping all of these people. So for the greater good, we're going to walk around this man so that we can serve all of those people. You know what the irony of justice is? Nobody thinks that they're being unjust. Everybody thinks that their actions are just. Everybody justifies their action. I really don't think Hitler woke up every morning and thought, let's do some evil today. I think he really thought that he was doing what was best for some utopian future. We justify our actions, don't we? These people got themselves into it. They don't need my help. What, what am I really going to accomplish? Do you ever think that? I have to admit, I, I do. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. You just need to read all of Romans chapter 12 and James 4 when you get home. Just read James 4, read Romans chapter 12, okay? Maybe 1 Corinthians 13 would be another good one to throw in there, all right? Maybe I'll just make a list. We'll put it in the comments. Um, Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Doesn't that sound like that idea of confronting injustice with justice? Vengeance? Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary. Oh, man. This is hard to read. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. I like that part. Uh, verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Your enemy. Jesus said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, love your enemy. Do good to those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Give your cloak also. Man, that gets tricky, doesn't it? What about this, Ephesians chapter 4? Yeah, just read Ephesians chapter 4 as well. Just put that on your list. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Man, isn't it hard just to not go against a group of people and if they would do this and those dummies with the decisions they're making, if they would just stop that and, oh, you know? Maybe that's just me. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And, and here's where it comes full circle, right here. As God in Christ forgave you, Jesus is your advocate. He stood for you when you couldn't stand for yourself. While we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The just and righteous God who should have just wiped us off the face of the earth said, no, I'm, I'm going to put that rainbow in the sky as the promise that I will never flood the earth again and I'm going to send you, Jesus Christ, to die in your place and take my wrath. I'm going to serve justice, but my son is going to take it for you. He's going to stand in your place because you can't stand to take that punishment. Jesus is our advocate. The Bible says Jesus is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Well, he's certainly a keeper of all the brothers and sisters. Jesus 
Jesus took it for you. So in acting justly, we need to act out what Jesus did for us and we need to stand for others who can't stand for themselves. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, I want to thank you and praise you today for your word. Thank you in that whole, this, this whole idea of being a good neighbor, being our brother's keeper, standing up for people who can't stand up for themselves, that you're not asking us to do anything that you haven't already done for us on a much greater scale. Thank you for how you took the punishment for us. Even when we snub responsibility and we rub it back in your face and we disobey and we choose not to accept your free gift, you still did it for us. God, I pray that we would be people who act justly, people who are known not just for what we stand against, but more so what we stand for. God, help us to stand for people. Thank you that you have shown us what is good and that part of that is acting justly. Help us to act justly this week, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.